Welcome to the Socialites podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers, innovators and community managers on how they grow and activate their communities online. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Welcome everyone to episode 58 of the Social Lights podcast. I am here with Jen Donovan and I'm so excited about today's uh, interview. But Jen is a marketing thought leader, change maker, coach and mentor for small businesses, a keynote speaker and a podcaster. She's founder of the extremely successful community Facebook group Buy From A Bush Business, which currently has about 330,000 members. She's co-founder of social enterprise Spend With Us. Australia's answer to Amazon, but for rural and regional small businesses. And she's founder of Social Media and Marketing Australia. Jen is on a mission to ensure the lost art of human-to-human marketing and community are seated firmly in everyone's marketing strategy this year and beyond. Uh, She's speaking my language. And Jen also has 10 chooks, three children, two peacocks, two guinea fowl, one husband, one dog, one cat, and several pet lambs, which I love and look forward to exploring more about that. So welcome, Jen. It is great to have you here. Thank you so much, Kate. It's I'm really looking forward to this conversation for sure. Thank you. So tell me, Jen, what is it that lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> um, what lights me up and probably what gets me out of bed in the morning are probably two different things. Um, what lights me up is, um, you know, I guess I'm so passionate about marketing and social media and things like that. Like, you know, when I sit down at my desk every day, I'm just so excited to sort of dig in. I go down really big rabbit holes, which are never that great. I'm, but, you know, generally I really do love, you know, just talking to my clients and helping them out and seeing their aha moments and having them just get it all of a sudden. And also, you know, seeing their progress um, as well. So all that really lights me up. What actually gets me out of bed in the morning is probably my three pet lambs bowing at my window because they want their milk and the sun's up. So I should be up. So uh, they're two different things that uh, actually light me up and get me up. But yeah, no, that's life in the household of Jen. <laughs> and, you know, for those who are not in Australia, I, I can picture it so, so clearly. You're beautiful property, you know, coveted animals and children. And um, I imagine you get nice screeching Australian birds in the background too, which I know a lot of people in Europe and America find very, very random. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And certainly my children are like, you know, 17, 18 and 21. So they definitely aren't out of bed before I am. It's a matter of dragging them to their respective works and um, schooling. (laughs) You're at the other end of the spectrum to me with a five and a seven-year-old. So yeah, definitely. Um, so, Jen, tell us a little bit about your journey up to launching Buy From A Bush Business and then we'll talk about how that came about. Yeah, so um, I, I guess I started my career off in law. So I did law for about oh, 17 or 18 years. Um, and as my story goes, my best friend and I, um, we had way too much wine to drink one night and we were just talking about, you know, we should throw our corporate jobs in and we should start our own business. And so then we got the local paper out and we saw a business for sale. And, you know, within about a week, we'd been to the bank, got the loan. And um, I remember like 
settlement day literally shaking and I'm not the type of person who who gets stressed very much to that point of you know wanting to bring up breakfast and I was like how did this happen so quickly like you know I was in law and now I'd bought myself a retail business so um and my best friend and I and we're still best friends uh, we have been since we were 14 but we ran that for about seven years uh, it was always the plan to build and sell so that's exactly what we did but that's kind of where I found my passion for marketing and social media. Um, Instagram was kind of a thing, but not really a thing. It was very much, you know, um, uh, like a blog type place to hang out, uh, very different to what it is now. Facebook groups and Facebook itself, like to have a Facebook page, you could put up a post and it would go everywhere. Whereas now, you know, it's not so much like that. So I kind of have had to grow my marketing knowledge with, um, you know, the uh, platforms that are about as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I found my passion for marketing and social media. And when we sold that business, I went out doing what I do now, which is, you know, teaching small business owners, um, you know, how to basically make marketing a priority and why they should, because I know if you want to grow, more people just need to know about how amazing your products or services are, um, which, you know, involves marketing. So that was, that, that's kind of my business journey to where I am today. I call those early days the days of the wild, wild west when you could literally <laughs> just write a status update. You didn't even need an image and it would go viral. But, yes, <laughs> we don't have that so much anymore. Not so much. So tell us about Buy From A Bush business and then how that's evolved in Spend With Us and how they work together. Yeah, so... um. I guess because part of my job is teaching small business owners how to grow their businesses and how to make marketing a priority. Um, Pre-pandemic, I used to do a lot of traveling. So I live, um, you know, in the Riverina of New South Wales. So probably, you know, three hours north, three hours south was kind of my district that I used to travel around a lot. And this particular week I was in um, very drought-ridden Riverina country um, talking to small business owners. It was October, the end of October 2019 and everyone was sad everyone was you know I, I guess when you're in drought basically if farmers don't have money towns don't have money is the reality of living out in rural Australia and all these retailers and business owners they just weren't looking forward to Christmas they knew that sales just weren't going to be great uh, because the farmers just weren't going to have a good harvest and therefore the money just wasn't going to be generated within the town and I guess as I heard this more and more over the week and buy from the bush which was an Instagram hashtag that was kind of trending at the time people were like, well, how do I get an Instagram? What what do I do? And how do I, you know, how do I use it? And I thought to myself, that's just way too confusing. A lot of small business owners in rural Australia that are perhaps haven't grown up with social media didn't understand Instagram. So my thought was, I'll open a Facebook group. I'll invite them. I'll invite my friends. If they invite their friends, then there's an opportunity for them to make a sale other than waiting for foot traffic to come past their stores. So that was really the inspiration was just kind of hearing this problem all week and thinking, how can I help? Um, so I came home on Friday night, opened the group, invited all my friends, invited all my clients and just, you know, put it out there. Um, I had no idea what I was creating. 
like literally no idea. I thought, you know, I can remember back, you know, very initial posts, like a thousand members, woohoo, 5,000 members. Oh my God, we're awesome. And now it's like 330,000 members. Okay. Like it's just, um, cause I, I, and I will tell you that once we tipped the hundred thousand members, the group changed and, you know, we might get into that a little bit later as we sort of discuss it. Um, and what I had noticed was as the group had got so big, people's posts would disappear very quickly. So if they didn't sort of post when people were online, their posts got swamped quite quickly. Cause you know, if you've got 80,000 businesses posting at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, like obviously you slide down the list quite quickly. So I knew I needed to create something else to help that. Um, and Lauren and Sarah, who had started Spend With Us, which was very much around the bushfires and helping people get online because obviously they couldn't have foot traffic anymore um, and getting along quite, getting online quite quickly. We, we kind of talked a little bit, uh, you know, about different things, um, different collaborations we'd done together. So basically I just reached out to them and said, I need a platform. I need a marketplace. I don't want to build it myself. Are you interested in um, collaborating or, you know, joining forces to which we discussed for a few months and then decided that's what we were going to do. So that was kind of how we got together was basically, you know, there was a problem. I wasn't prepared to solve it myself. Um, and they already had the solution. So why not, you know, why build something else that was already out there? So um, I love that you chose to collaborate there and we'll include a link to in the interview that I did with Sarah from Spend With Us. Yeah. Yep. From both ends of that collaboration. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, it's one of the soapboxes that I get on is about the duplication of things in mm. Australia where we're a relatively small population compared to the rest of the world and I love it when people just see that collaboration is the natural next step rather than trying to recreate you know things that make yeah so we sort of started up a company I think in about June 2020 um together and then launched in August 2020 but we only ever met for the first time in real life in March 2021 so we'd never actually met face to face so uh, until we'd been in business with each other for about six or seven months so um yeah so Sarah traveled to Melbourne uh, Lauren and I traveled to Melbourne and we sort of stayed in a motel for a couple of days so it was great to uh, to have yeah. a small window period where you yeah. tiny really tiny we timed it well remember those days <laughs> I know we have so many of those conversations now don't we remember when mm. um, and so um if we could hone in a little I guess on that journey of how buy from a bush business how that community grew like all good communities that they tend to come from um you know, someone's personal experience and you were on the ground, you saw how how drought was really impacting your clients and other businesses. So you decide to invite them all to a Facebook group. You invite your friends. Once you'd done that, what do you, um, what do you think changed in terms of that starting to organically grow and have a life of its own that wasn't you inviting individuals into that space? Can you identify what may have changed? Yeah, I, I, 
I don't know if I can exactly pinpoint it. I would like to say that we are farmers, so we were living the drought as well. So it wasn't just the problem I was seeing with my clients, but, you know, when your beautiful, strong husband collapses on the kitchen floor in complete, I don't know if we can get through this, you know that things are bad and you know that other people's households are probably five times as bad as that. So it was very, very personal um, for me to try and help um, in that way as well. But I think people really embraced, um, I think it was a whole movement that was happening um, in rural Australia. And I think people, uh, there was a lot of fundraising that was probably going on maybe two or three months prior to my starting my group where lots of um, very big commercial television stations were doing, uh, you know, traveling around the country and raising money for farmers and, and, you know, raising money for fodder and, you know, food for the animals and things like that. So people were very much aware of what was happening in rural Australia and not to sort of knock the sales out of anybody who was trying really hard. But as farmers ourselves and living in the community, I never saw any of that money. My community never saw any of that money. So I don't know where that money went. I'm assuming it went to people that were much more desperate than us. But that really stung me and stayed with me. It's just like, well, who's doing something for the small people then? Like the, you know, the people that aren't um, perhaps as worse off. And I think that kind of also contributed to it that people no longer just wanted to donate because they didn't know where the money was going. Um, And so therefore the whole feeling of you could actually buy something from the person and that money went directly into their bank account and directly put food on the table or, or helped feed the animals or whatever that was. I think that had a really good feel good for people inside going, okay, I can donate, but I can also spend money with the actual people who live in rural Australia who are really struggling. Um, And I think also the movement itself helped, but I think people, and I don't know, I don't want to sound really narcissistic, but I think people were really like surprised at the talent there was in rural and regional Australia. They were kind of like, wow, like, there's some really amazing people who make things or people who import really amazing things and sell them through their businesses. You know, it's not a handmade group. Like there is opportunity for everybody in there. And I guess I looked at that in that, you know, if I look at my country town, if everyone closed down that didn't hand make or, you know, didn't make their own products, we'd have a ghost town and it's very similar anywhere that you would look. So I wanted to have the opportunity for anyone to come on board, not just people who handmade themselves, you know, handmade the products themselves. So I think there was a whole combination of things, but I think it was also, you know, that John might come in and he's like, oh my God, this is so impressive and invited all his friends. And then one of John's friends was like, oh my God, this is so impressive and invited all his friends. So organically, I think the group sold itself because people, felt good by spending the money with the people um, and, you know, knowing that it got to the people who needed it. But also I think people were amazed at the products that they could buy. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I think you said in there that's really interesting and it's something that you can't really teach but is essential for any community is empathy. Mm. And you 
you know, have your own lived experience of that and continue to, I imagine. And it's that gives you a, an insight and I guess helps to establish some of that trust and credibility quite quickly as well. You're not an outsider coming in saying, I want to do this for you or to you or on you, which a lot of, you know, people who mean really well. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I remember. Really condescending feeling. So you're kind of in all in it together, which is. Yeah, absolutely. Like I remember um, probably not this drought, probably the previous one that was early in the 2000s or mid 2000s. We had a, uh, you know, a big day put on for my local district. And I distinctly remember the man from St. Vincent de Paul basically crying at the end of the day because no one would take his shopping vouchers. He had $100 vouchers to give, you know, out that were for IGA, none of us would take them because farmers don't do that. Rural people have this pride that, you know, doesn't want, they don't want to take charity. I'm generalizing, you know, here, but I know from my community, it was, and he was basically stuffing them in our handbags when we weren't looking just to get rid of them. And I think that again contributed to the group that they didn't feel like they were being given charity. They were actually selling their goods. And then there was the whole community feeling of it of, this person is going through exactly what I'm going through. So, you know, they were very like-minded people. They were going through very liked lived experiences, like you said. And so it, it created that community where people, you know, started chatting to each other offline or, you know, communicating and collaborating and, and saying, oh, gosh, I love your things. You know, do you wholesale? I'd love to put them in my shop. And, you know, that is what was born out of it. And people who had great hobbies who auntie would buy them or, you know, grandma might buy what you made. But all of a sudden, everyone else in the world was saying, I want what you make as well. So that real validation of taking hobbies into businesses was another big shift that I saw. And did you keep the group quite transactional or was there space for those more support type conversations? So I guess what guidelines or parameters did you have? Because it, it could have been a group that became just about anything. Yeah, um, look, for us. did you put around? For a start, it was either or. So it was people like there was great conversations happening. Um, but like I said, at about the 100,000 mark, it changed and I had to really rein on the rules uh, and really pull people back. I remember waking Amazing up. Amazing you got like, to 100,000 before you had to do that though. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And I remember waking up, you know, one Sunday morning and like there was like a 2,000 reports from, you know, and people were fighting in there and it, and it brought me to tears because I'm like that's the end of the group we knew because now people have seen this and I was in bed so I didn't I wasn't able to stop it quick enough uh, for it not to take over so I deleted the post and then I bought rules in so now it is very transactional um, it's like you've got something to sell you know stories of course as we know as marketers are huge in selling so people do still get to tell their stories but there is a product with a price and a location connected to that um, which is kind of sad but also I know, you know, that's the way the group had to go. Um, yeah, because we've certainly seen iterations like, you know, when the pandemic first started, 
people were very much against imports. So there was a lot of anger, people who was who had imported products that they weren't supporting Australian made and this and that, which was never the focus of the group. So again, we needed to really tighten and rein that in. So it's been an evolution, I guess, that goes with the waves of the values that we're feeling inside the country. And how much consultation have you done as that group? I guess how much has the group helped to decide the direction of the group? Very much. Ways of ways of doing that? No, very much. But I think also I knew what I wanted the group to be, which is a safe community. So anything that goes outside that safe community you know, I'm very harsh on people who, um, you know, get in there to make trouble. Like they're kicked out, like 300,000 people, one person's not going to make make or break a group anymore. So very much um, I'm very, this has to be a safe space because these people are going through a lot. And I talked a lot about the drought, but when I started it, you know, it was all about the drought, but then of course we had bushfires, then we had COVID and then we had some floods and then we had a mouse plague. Like it's just, these people are very vulnerable and they've got to have a safe place to be able to post um, and tell their stories and, you know, um, you know, get, get some income. And so from a business perspective, I understand when you came together with Spend um, spend With Us that that then became more of a business. Up until that point, was this really just something that you'd done for the love of it or was there any kind of business um, all around, around the group or the community? I had um, implemented purely, I guess, a little bit selfishly, um, a VIP system. So basically if people paid $10 a month, they could actually get VIP, which meant that I didn't have to approve their posts. Now, when I say I did that selfishly was because I was approving five, six, 700 posts a day. Uh, And that is a lot of my time uh, doing that. So I was like, oh, I've got to be able to do this better. So it was kind of like the people who were prepared to pay as long as they stuck to the rules, they didn't need my approval anymore. So that probably, you know, cut down the approvals to maybe four or 500 a day type of things. So kind of started to tinker on the business model, but I can tell you, I got held down for that. Like there were haters out there who were like, oh my God, this started as a charity and now you're trying to get money out of these people. Um, And you know, haters are going to hate. Tay-Tay said that so well to us, um, you know, in her songs. So I tinkered on the business model, but really it was done just to try and help me out a little bit to make less work for me. And did you bring in any kind of system around volunteer moderators or other people to help you manage the Yeah, Kate, I had a couple of um, volunteer moderators and um, they ended up being two of the most awful humans that walk this earth. So I had a very, very bad experience with letting some people in that didn't have the same morals and values um, as myself um, and really started to take the group an ugly way uh, to the point where I was actually handing it over to them I was transitioning out of it and prepared to hand it over to them and then uh, a particular thing happened that made me wake up and go this isn't the group this is them like I can get my beautiful little group or big group back I just need to get rid of them so that's what I did in the end but that's probably a story for a whole other podcast (laughs) Um, but it is a, a very big lesson for me in business is you know who to trust I'm a very trusting person and um, unfortunately I trusted the wrong people and almost lost the beautiful asset that I had created 
Yeah, wow. I've, you're certainly not alone in in that as an experience. But um, yeah, such a shame because I guess having having support allows you to do more of what you do. Yeah, you do best as well. So, um, what are some? But without the- that, I don't think there would have been the desperation to reach out to Lauren and Sarah. So you know, these things have a habit of having silver linings at the yeah. end of the day. And so when you think about the journey of that group, and we'll talk about how that might have shifted since, um, you know, teaming up with, with spend, uh, sorry, with spend with us. <laughs> um, I was thinking buy with us, spend with us. Buy from us. <laughs> um, so when you think about that community journey, what are some of the key strategies that you've put in place to support the growth of that community? Because it sounds like it's grown very organically. You haven't had to do necessarily so much of the hustle and proactive content type strategies, but what are some of the strategies that you've used in that community growth journey? I guess um, being very focused on what I wanted the group to look like and not swaying from that. So the group was created to help small rural and regional businesses get more money because if towns have more money, communities have more money. Um, I live it, I breathe it, I have it, you know, in my own backyard. So very much sticking towards that goal and anything that, you know, and that's how decisions are made. Will that help my community? No, right out you go um, or that's not going to happen will it help my community yes it will all right let's go for it type of thing so very laser focused on what I wanted the group to achieve but also like I said before making it a very safe space that people felt safe and encouraged Um, I think a lot of communities that I've seen that perhaps have both online and offline that have failed is they've failed in the safety. They've failed to allow their community members to feel like they are safe enough to ask questions, safe enough to post, um, you know, safe enough to live in that space. Because, you know, like I said uh, very early on, these people aren't exactly um, or a lot of them at the start, I should say, weren't exactly computer savvy or social media savvy. So they were putting themselves in an uncomfortable position knowing they had to to survive in business. Um, so, yeah, like creating that parameters around safe and, um, and being quite um, open about that as well. Like, you know, people report posts and we take action. Uh, we are always circling around in that group. Yes, sometimes we drop the ball 100% because we all have our own businesses as well. Uh, and so we're just trying to slip this into different time slots that we have during the day or at night. Um, but they're probably the two biggest strategies that I have had is um, and, and trying to give everyone an equal share as well. Um, yeah, and, and keeping again, that rule of rural and regional. In fact, until uh, Lauren and Sarah and I did collaborated on spend with us, it was very rural. Like it was, you know, populations under 20,000. So it's sort of uh, with exceptions of drought and things like that and bushfires, but it was very much focused around those little rural towns. Um, And then when we joined, they had a different rule. So we kind of opened it up and now it's sort of that 100,000 type population that we're, you know, if you live in a town, 
town bigger than that, then, you know, our platform's not necessarily for you. So, um, but yeah, look. There's a lot of demand for that through COVID, you know, businesses pivoted to online. You could almost replicate it and have a, a COVID model for. Yes. And people have asked me to do that. And that. I've probably, you know, sat back in my chair and gone, oh dear. And, and like you get a little bit addicted to that sort of thing. I would love to, but I don't have the time to. And so it's just like, um, yeah. And, and there are a lot of people, uh, you know, I had a post on my Instagram not so long ago about someone who was basically against the whole business model saying I should open it up to everyone because everyone is suffering and they are a hundred percent, but I can't save everyone. So, uh, and, and this person actually told me I should be ashamed of myself and that one hurt, that one hurt big time, but you know, like it's sort of like, I've got to stick to my business model, um, because that's how it started. And if I start swaying from that, I'm going to lose the people who are relying on that because they're going to lose trust in me because I've changed what it looks like. I love how crystal clear you are on the purpose and the values because I think that's where a lot of communities lose their way and, you know, is often the end of it because if you upset your founding members that you, you know, that you started for and existed for, uh, then, yeah, it's very easy for communities to go go rogue if you like. Yeah, like, you know, bright, shiny objects. I could have done a lot of different things but it's exactly you know, I've got to stick to the purpose because uh, that's how it started. So, uh, and that's where it's having the most impact. Mm. And so you alluded before um, to the fact that things changed when you hit around that 100,000 um, mark in the group. What kind of things changed at that point? Um, I think it had outgrown the the model that I had thought it was starting like to help my clients and my customers and my friends and their friends. And we had attracted some um, haters, troublemakers, uh, opinionated um, and and people who didn't quite believe what I believed. So they were very um, just wanting to disrupt, I guess, what the community had looked like. And if you think of, a hundred thousand people in a city offline, of course, you're going to have such a big breadth of, you know, people that are very diversified, that have different opinions and values and things like that. So it's no different to the community online. So for me, it changed because I needed to be more present as the person who was running the community. So I had to really, um, you know, I, I guess moderate a lot more. Whereas prior to that, I felt like it was this beautiful little community that kind of moderated itself and called people out and that sort of thing. I don't remember being in the trenches as much under a hundred thousand as to what I was between one and two. And at what point in the group did the partnership with Spend With Us occur? So where was your group at when you... I think it might have been around the 240, 250,000 mark. So um, it was, it, it still had grown quite significantly. Um, but yeah, I think it was around 240, 250 uh, from memory. And did you have a good sense up until that point how many in the group were selling as opposed to being there because they wanted to buy? Was that always a fairly equal um, distribution or was it? 
Yeah, I always found that calculation really hard because a lot of the sellers were buyers. Mm. So a lot of the sellers, as they got more money, they wanted to support other small businesses. So, um, you know, I, I would always like to think it was like a 60-40 split, but whenever I've tried to do, um, you know, like tried to get that information out of the group, it's so hard to do that. Um, you know, you only get a small percentage of people that are prepared to, uh, you know, click a button and, um, yeah, give you that information. But I found that it was probably higher than 60, 40, because a lot of the sellers were purchases. And so what did your collaboration partnership new business look like with Spend With Us? How did that change from it just being not just but being a Facebook group? Yeah. What evolved out of that? Um, so what evolved out of that was basically, as you know, you see with Spend With Us now, um, it ha- it's a marketplace. So think Amazon, but for rural and regional small businesses, but they were very focused on um, bushfire businesses um, th- to help them through, you know, the bushfires, which of course, you know, in what are we doing? Uh, August 2021 is still a really big thing. These people that suffered from these bushfires, you know, back 18 months ago are still really reeling from it. Um, so, you know. Well, and COVID not- came along and it was yes. like the bushfires took a back seat when it was. Yes. So yeah. And I think, you know, it's definitely something that people should be well aware of is that these people are still waiting for their houses to be rebuilt you know trying to get their businesses back up and going and things like that um yeah so I I guess the collaboration looked like basically just joining the two together so um, my VIPs came across and now they were offered uh, a shop front if they wanted it as in a a web page a website uh, if they wanted it which is always something that I had half promised but didn't know what that would look like um and so yeah and then I guess it gave people the opportunity who were in the group trying to sell but their only way of selling was message me so they had no checkout ability or anything like that you know and I think that's okay for a start but I think in long, like longevity says that people need to be able to trust you. Uh, and I think having a secure checkout is as a retailer is almost a must these days. Um, so, you know, it sort of gave a lot of those businesses an opportunity to get online really quickly, really cheaply um, and, you know, start selling and having that platform that, you know, basically had that checkout for them as well as um, somewhere to showcase their products and services. So that we launched uh, the website, not quite as you see it now, but, you know, there's been a few iterations of it, but um, kind of what you see now uh, back in August 2020. Yeah, wow. And so um, interesting. Do you, I guess the question that's floating around in my head is, had there not been this really thriving community already and you just started a website, that would have been a really different journey. Um, and what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, that community really gave you the opportunity to figure out what was going to work for people and to be guided by them in, in that journey. 
which is, you know, what we all aim for when we're building community. Yeah. Look, you know, I talk about, you know, the community and, and, you know, sometimes I feel like I sound quite self-centered, you know, I've given this and I've done this, but at the end of the day, they, that community has taught me so much about business, about life, about trust, about collaborations, just it, the gifts that have come from running a group and starting a group and watching it grow um, and explode um have like there's things that you would never learn unless you had been through that which have been total gifts especially you know because my other side of my business is doing coaching and mentoring to small businesses so I, I yeah the gifts that have come from having a community like that are so big um for me for sure so if you were giving advice to other smaller companies or small businesses who wanted to start a community in their business or to support their business, what would you say to them? Um, look, community is everything. Community, having a community who know, like, and trust you, having a community who are willing to sing your praises, buy from you over and over again and refer you, that's kind of like the gold nugget of business. If you can surround yourself and put a picket fence around your best buyers and, and your community, I think building a business all of a sudden just got so much easier for you. But you don't need 300,000 people. Like it comes with its own set of problems. Like you're kind of a mayor of an, un, you know, an online city. So, and I think that's, you know, comes back to social media and you would know so well that people like, if I can just get a hundred thousand or like a thousand more followers, you know, my business will be more successful. And so it's like, no, nurture the people you've got now. So whether you have customers, you've got 10 customers or a hundred customers, making them feel like they belong to a community as humans that's one of our big things is we want to belong somewhere so you know uh, you know can they belong to your community are you offering that belonging that people are longing for um so yeah my advice would be to do it um do it and um you know and, and really understand what the goals of that community would be for you um and, and stick to those goals i guess um and, and the goal can be to have a community who will buy what you sell and that's totally fine we're in business we have to you know we're in the business of making money um not everything has to be done out of the goodness of your heart but surrounding yourself with those people will make business easier for you and I think it's one of the things um, that still works beautifully and organically on social media is that we're all connected to people like us. So if you truly understand who you're serving, they lead you to more people yes. like them. Yeah. You know, they lead you, as I say, they lead you to your next best customer. Yeah. But it's also, um, yeah, it's, oh, I lost lost the thought. But, yes, it's um, it's that, that organic growth. And, oh, that's what I was going to say. I think... You know, so often when businesses think about community, they think about how it's going to solve the problems of the business. And what you've demonstrated so beautifully is that you need to think about how community solves the problems or the dreams and aspirations of your customers and of your community. Um, and then the byproduct is always the sale. But when we're so fixated on the sale and on how it's going to solve our you know, cash flow problems or our bottom line or our support issues, then, you know, we often miss the mark in community. So I think you've demonstrated yeah. that really beautifully with the growth of your community as well. 
Thank you. Yeah. And I guess as any good marketer would tell you, like the one thing you need to know is who's your ideal client. You need to know them back to front, up the side down, around the other way. And how are you going to do that if you don't have a community of people to watch and talk to and have conversations with and watch their conversations between each other? Like that's how you learn, I guess, more and more and more about your ideal client, um, you know, in order to you know, help you make better sales or more sales or more profit. Um, yeah. So community has so many different levels to, um, you know, the magic that can come out of it. And I love, you know, the the most exciting businesses to me are the ones that collaborate with their customers about what it is that they're offering because, you know, it's gold what your customers can tell you about what you're offering and how you might do that differently or better. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, Jen, I always like to ask, apart from your own community, which, of course, you love and cherish deeply, um, what is another favourite online community of yours that you love being a part of? Yeah, I guess um, as a podcaster, I love the Australian Podcasters Collaborative. I love getting in there and it's such a great space to ask questions. Like, you know, I've been podcasting for a couple of years, but I'm self-taught. I've never done a course. I watch YouTube videos. So there's a lot of people out in there that are just so willing to share their wisdom who are so much more experienced or tech-minded than what I am. So that is one of the communities I do love to um, hang out in um, for sure. Um, And then there's probably the one roof um the ladies so um the ladies that run one roof which is a really great membership again just all about women supporting women in business um yeah really remarkable community as well wonderful well we will share all of your links um to your various endeavors you're you're one very busy woman (laughs) how do you do all of that um in one one life I'm not sure but um congratulations on everything that you've built so we'll certainly share all of those links uh so that people can find you and find uh buy from a bush business and spend with us um is there anything else you'd like to share as we as we wrap up today um no not really I guess um just if you're sort of looking to belong to a community uh, and you're searching for like-minded people maybe it's that's your sign to start your own community maybe that you know maybe you need to be the attractor rather than the attracted is that the right way I'm not quite sure if that's the right way but you know what I mean like you know if you're looking for that tribe to belong to or that community to belong to maybe that's your sign to maybe start one yourself and and start attracting uh, like people that way but um, community is everything when it comes to building a business in 2021 and um, yeah I'm sure that people belong to great communities so just start looking around what you love and you know what lights you up about being in that community as well. Yeah and as you said so eloquently earlier that you know, zero tolerance when people are not a fit for your community. I think, you know, most of us have moved to that now, which is great because your community is never going to be everything to everybody. And yeah, I love that. If you don't, if you don't find your own tribe, go create it. Yeah. Yeah. But you've also got to have a community of people around you that you can say those things to where you get frustrated and that sort of thing. And I think they're called your friends. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Jen, for being here today. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for the opportunity to tell my story. It's just, yeah, been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. 
You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favourite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.